Hi, I'm Josh Van Berkel. Welcome to the Activate Christchurch podcast. It's our privilege to share it with you. I hope you enjoy it. And if you ever find yourself in Christchurch, pop in and say hello. We'd love to see you. Hey, everybody good? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Come on, you're doing, you're doing all right? Like we've hired, we, we, we hired heaters and everything. You guys all discovered last week that when Josh isn't here, the heating doesn't work. So now you're all really stoked to see me. Uh, it wasn't my intention to do baptisms and do band and preach, but Abel and Kerry had a baby, and no joke, they didn't even ask me <laughs> if it was a good time or not. I would have said to them, don't do it this Sunday, we've got baptisms, I've got to preach, I don't want to have to do all the things at the same time, and they just went ahead and had her anyway. <laughs> Flippin' rude. They might be watching uh, this morning. Uh, Abel is a very extroverted young man, and uh, he's itching to get out and show Eliana off, but she is not even a week old yet, and so Kira's being a little bit more circumspect, which I think is good, but it wouldn't surprise me if they're watching this morning, so if you are, hello, Abel and Kira, and a big hello too to everybody else watching online, and a big kia ora to everybody here as well, this long Matariki weekend, have you enjoyed your long weekend so far? I've done a little bit of learning about Matariki, which is pretty cool actually, trying to find the stars in the sky, no chance. Man, I could not find those suckers anywhere. There is, there is a lot of stars in the sky. Have you ever looked up and tried to find like one particular star? Good luck. There are so many stars up there. And uh, they're all so far away. The universe is massive. It's massive. And in the middle of it, I think in the middle of it, is me. No, I mean Earth. Earth is in the middle of it. And here we are. Do you ever, just like I, I sat in the spa, because I, I had to practice baptizing, so I sat in the spa last night uh, with Liz, and I kept pushing her head under the water to make sure I knew what I was doing, and, um, and I was looking up, and I was like, man, God's insane. Like, I know I've said this a lot of times, right, but the Bible's very clear, like, don't even think for a second that you, you could ever understand, like, this much of God, and then we get our noses all out of joint, and we don't understand like this much of God. It's ridiculous. Uh, and I think I've said it here before, I don't want to ever feel like I've got God, you know, on understood. Because the minute I feel like I've got a handle on what God's doing and where God's going is the minute that I'm as big as God is, or God's as small as I am. And that's not what I want. So um, I love the feeling of not knowing what God's doing. I think it's a good space to be in. Uh, trust is really a big deal in the life of a Christian, right? And, and I think it's awesome, Mel, what you got up and just shared, because I'm actually talking about loneliness this morning. You didn't know that, did you? And I was thinking, God, how do I transition into that from this? And then Mel gets up and talks about being lonely. I'm like, well, that's pretty perfect. So good job, you. All right, have we got my PowerPoint up? For those of you that don't know me, we've got a few guests this morning. My name is Josh, and along with the team, uh, we lead here, my wife and I, Liz, who's out with the kids this morning uh, at Activate Christchurch, and it is a lot of fun. And mornings like this morning, like being able to hop in and baptize people, uh, is just like the highlight for me. Baby dedications, highlights, baptism highlights, salvations highlights. I mean, there's so many highlights of being a pastor, but that is special. So thank you to, you know, Mel and Kerry and Alea and Anne for letting me be a part of that. Very special. And in the years to come, when I look back with fondness in my old age, in my time here. Those will be the things that I, when I get old, don't laugh, Gene, far out. I saw some photos on Facebook the other day of what I looked like before I became a pastor. I looked like 12, and then I became a pastor, and now I'm like, goodness sake, forget about it. And it's mostly Gene's fault. 
the old fart stuff. I turned 40 this year. But I'm not going to tell you when. August. No, that's... Get behind me, Satan. That's not... Um, so we are working our way through the book of Acts, and we're going to continue this morning, and we're going to pick it up in Acts chapter 4. Uh, if you've got your Bibles, which I know you do because I keep telling you to bring them, we're going to pick it up in Acts chapter 4, verse 32. I don't put the verses up on the screen because you're supposed to bring your Bibles so you can read for yourself instead of being fed like a baby, right? You read it for yourself because you've got your Bibles, and you've got your Bible app, and you read it every day, don't you, church? Yes, yes, Josh, we read it every day because God never asks us to do anything without it being for our benefit because he is perfect love. Sometimes I ask my wife to do things or my kids to do things and I'm not lying, I'm being selfish when I do it because I want to get something out of it. But God is pure love all the time. So anytime God asks us to do anything, It is always, 100% of the time, motivated by love because he knows what is best for us. So when he says, read your Bible, study my word daily, it's because he knows what is best for us. We're going to pick it up in verse 32. Uh, It says this, and actually what we've got here at the end of chapter 4 is we've got a summation of essentially the book of Acts up until this point. This is kind of like end of part 1 when it comes to Acts. So you remember Acts chapter one, Jesus says to the disciples, don't do anything until you're filled with my Holy Spirit. That's a life lesson right there. Don't do anything until you're filled with the Holy Spirit. Don't try and do anything out of your own flesh, out of your own energy, out of your own charisma, out of your own skill. You gotta be doing it out of the Holy Spirit. And then of course the Holy Spirit falls on the disciples, on the believers at chapter two, and they're all filled with the Holy Spirit and they speak in other languages and there's a big crowd that gathers and Peter preaches a message and 3,000 people get saved. Boom, mega church right there. Then a couple of days later, or whenever it might be, shortly after, hello Emily, shortly after, Peter and John are walking to church. They see a paralyzed guy. They pray for him. He gets miraculously healed, starts running around and making a scene. Everybody sees him. Crowd gathers. Peter preaches another message. Bam! Now we're up to 5,000 men plus women plus children. It's a huge church. They get thrown in prison for the night. The religious leaders don't know what to do. They end up releasing them. They go home. They tell their friends and their family what happened. Everybody celebrates that end. It's a nice kind of pause moment, a sailor moment in the book of Acts. And so at the end of Acts chapter 4, it's kind of summing up phase one. All right? Verse 32 says, All the believers were one in heart and mind. Right? This is a very similar sentiment to what is expressed at the end of chapter 2, where it talks about the early church. And we talked about that. Remember, we talked about how uh, the believers were uh, the same in heart and mind. It talks about vision. It talks about purpose. It, it means unity of the body. Right? They were a unified group of people. didn't stay that way for very long, actually, to be fair. But at the start, it was pretty awesome. It says, no one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. Verse 33, with great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, uh, about the fact that the apostles were always uh, proclaiming the gospel and demonstrating the power of God, right? It was a demonstration and a proclamation combo. Left hand, right hand, pow, pow tell you about Jesus, pow, show you what Jesus can do, right? Demonstration and proclamation. Uh, They were always testifying to the Lord with power. 
And there's a challenge in that for us as well. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses, plural, sold them, brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet and it was distributed to anyone who had need. Uh, Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. Imagine that. Imagine being introduced to someone and saying, oh, hey, my name's, my name's Joseph. And they hang out with you for a week or two and they say, you know what? You are so amazing at this one thing. We're gonna have to change your name to better reflect who you are as a person. If that happened here, if we had like a renaming ceremony here, what do you reckon your new name would be? His name means son of encouragement. Uh, And yes, that is the same Barnabas that Paul ended up going on various missions trips with around Asia Minor. He sold a field he owned and he brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. So it's this kind of summation of the last four chapters. It's this utopia moment in church history where everything is functioning the way that it should. The people that have got more are given to the people that have less. There are no needy people among them. And just imagine how attractive this would have been at a day and in an age where there was no government subsidies, there was no social services, there were no organizations that helped, not like now. Literally, we were, uh, Liz and I were in town yesterday, we went to a supermarket, we went around to see Abel and Kira and visit their new baby. Very pastoral thing to do. Plus, Liz wanted to hold the baby. They offered me to hold the baby, I was like, I'm good. I'm not really a baby holder. I, held, I didn't really even hold my own baby, I kind of held my own babies, but I just am like, i just terrified I'm gonna drop it. And I think, you know, if I drop like a can of gherkins, not the, I mean, I would cry, but it's not the end of the world. You drop a baby, it's bad news. So I'm just like, mm, no. But Liz is all over it. She's like, I want to have more babies. I'm like, no, we're not having any more babies. I made sure that wasn't going to happen. That's too much information. Don't worry about that. Forget that I said that. It's all right. It's too personal. I'm going to get in trouble for that later. Anyway, we are at the supermarket, and I'm waiting for Liz to buy some bread to go with the soup that she's made. And I'm sitting in the car on my phone. There's a knock on my door, my window, and there's a, a woman standing outside, like in her late 40s perhaps, I don't know, it's hard to tell how old women are, and she said, hey, I'm lost, can you give me a ride home? And I said, hmm, and I don't know about you, but I think I must be a very cynical person, because straight away my radar went up like, oh, she's trying to rip me off, it's a scam, she's going to take my money and spend it on stuff that I don't think she should be spending it on, or whatever, which is not very good, I need to work on this. Because at the same time I was thinking, Jesus, I'm like asking Jesus, like, what would you do in this situation, like, what should I do here? Uh, and she said, look, I'm, I'm down from Rotorua and um, I'm just staying at a motel and I caught the wrong bus and I've been turned around and I don't know how to get back. And then Liz came back and hopped in the car and, and I said, well, where are you staying? And she gave me the address and I got out my phone and I Google mapped it. I was like, ugh, that's like the complete opposite direction of where we needed to go. I was like, and in the end, I was like, you know what? What would Jesus do? Jesus would say yes. So I said, hop in. So she hopped in the car and we drove a, a quarter of an hour across town to then turn around and drive half an hour back the other way. And we're chatting with her in the car. Her name's Haley, And easy to remember because it's my sister's name. Anyway, she just starts saying how her marriage kind of busted up, up in Auckland. And so she's come down to Christchurch and she's been living in a motel for two months. And I said, wow, two months. I said, oh, how, are you, how, does you, how do you fund all of that? And she said, oh, it's, it's all being paid for by such and such an organization. And I thought, well, that's amazing, right? Like two months, she said, I'm just having, I'm just having a healing holiday. 
and two months she's going to go down to Queenstown and she'd been at the supermarket, bought all these groceries and I was like, wow, that's amazing that we've got a government that, you know, gives someone enough money that they can live in a motel for two months and go to Queenstown. They did not have that back in the year 30 AD or whenever it was, right? So imagine how attractive it would have been to see a group of people that were actually looking after each other. You'd say, hey, did you hear about Alea? Yes, I heard about Alea. She lost her job. Yes, she did lose her job. But then all the people in her church got together and gave her enough money that she doesn't have to worry about working for the next wee while until she gets back on her feet. That would have been amazing to them. And it wasn't the church, an organization, an institution, a government department. It was just the people. It was the people that you're sitting next door to right now. And so I want to just circle back to this verse. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. Now, in the context of this passage, it's clear that the Bible is talking about finances and it's talking about material possessions. I don't actually want to major on that this morning because next week I've got to preach on Ananias and Sapphira. Who knows those couple? That's, I don't know what I'm going to do there, but I don't think it's possible to preach on that without offending pretty much everybody. So we'll just leave that. But next week's lounge church, so I'm going to be on camera, so I don't have to see your faces. You know, when I, when I start talking about people not giving enough money and then dying, it's a bit awkward. <laughs> so I'm going to leave the financial side of things till next week. I want to just explore this last line. They shared everything they had. And I want to just broaden that out to not just their material possessions or their finances, but they shared their heart. They shared their hopes. They shared their dreams. They shared their successes and they shared their failures. They shared their victories and they shared their defeats. They shared their good days and they shared their bad bad days. Don't share your bad days, for goodness sake. They shared their bad days, right? They shared all of themselves, And can I tell you something? As a rule, as a generalization, the Western church, us Westerners, suck at this. I don't don't know how to put it any other way. We suck at sharing all of ourselves. We're just really bad at it. And there's, there's a couple of reasons for it. I think there's actually three major reasons that we're dealing with at the moment that have all kind of layer upon layer upon layer made it worse. The first reason we struggle is because of the culture that we're brought up in. We're brought up in a Greek kind of orthodox culture. We've been influenced by the Greeks and the Romans and Plato and Socrates and you know all those sorts of uh, Aristotle, all those sorts of guys that were big thinkers. And we've grown up in a culture that very much emphasizes the individual. Right? We're in a culture where it's all about me. It's about what I want. It's about what I'm going to do with my life. We ask our little kids, what do you want to do? What are you going to be? What job are you going to have? Success is defined by how much stuff I have and how successful I am and what sort of income I have. And our focus is very much about ourselves. Guarantee you, if I took a photo, and I think I've said it before, if I took a photo of this whole church and then put it out on the front, who's the first person you look for in the photo? Kerry? You look for yourself, don't you? You're like, I want to make sure that I don't look bad in the photo. It's just, it's so hardwired into us from the time that we are born that we are an individualistic society, you know? Who's heard the saying, God helps those who help themselves? That's not even in the Bible, man. That's just a dumb thing that people say. But we're we're all about what 
am I getting out of life? Other cultures and the culture that the Bible was written to and in were very much more community-based cultures. And so they were brought up right from a young age to be thinking about the wider community, the tribe, the people group that they were in. And everything that they were asked, like, what are you going to do with your life? It was more about, like, how are you going to serve the community? What role are you going to play in this kind of village that we've got going on? And so we don't really understand that. That's the first reason that we struggle with sharing everything we have. Another reason we struggle with sharing everything we have is a pretty recent development, but I'm not even joking, social media. Do you know the amount of research that is coming out now? Because social media's been around for sort of 10 plus years now. Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, WeChat. What are some of the other ones that I don't even know about? Instagram. Don't shake your head, you know. (sighs) No, you don't. Um, All of the research, like pretty much all of the research coming out now says this stuff is incredibly damaging for relationships and connection because what social media does is it tricks your brain into thinking that you've got all of these connections, but you don't. It tricks you into thinking, oh, I know what's going on in Leia's life. I saw the other day that she's got a new job. Well, how did you see it? I saw it on Facebook. Oh, I know what, you know, Joanna's got going on. I saw it on Instagram. Oh, I saw Abel and Kara had a new baby. Yes, I saw the photo on Facebook. It tricks you into thinking you have genuine connections, but you don't. And so we don't see the need to open up and share everything that we have because we think we're all good until, talking to Gerhard about this the other day, until you need someone to help you move a couch and you realize you've got no friends because only real friends will help you move a couch, right? And I'm I'm not even joking, the research is overwhelming. Young people, do yourselves a favor, disengage from social media. I'm telling you, I don't have any social media apps on my phone, none of it. Because it's just too, even if the worst thing you do is just, you just lose hours just scrolling mindlessly. It's just, it's just horrible, right? I, I can't stand social media. I have to use it periodically for, you know, church stuff. And every now and again, once in a blue moon, I'll put up something dumb that my kids said to make other people laugh. And the other day I had this big argument with Darcy. She's my youngest, she's nine. Liz thinks it's hilarious because she reckons we're exactly the same. We're not exactly the same. She's always wrong, I'm always right. But we had this massive argument, Darcy and me, Liz had to come in and mediate. And in the end, you know, so she's hugging Darcy and I'm sitting on the other couch like, and she says to Darcy, go and hug your dad. And Darcy's like, nope, nope, nope. And I'm like, well, if you're not gonna hug me, I'm not gonna hug you then, it's fine, because like, we actually are quite similar. Anyway, she goes off and forgets about the problem, right? Hour and a half goes by, it's time for bed. And so I go in to say goodnight. And every time I go in to say goodnight, I give Darcy a hug. So I went in to say goodnight, I gave her a hug. And halfway through the hug, she tensed up because she realized, wait a minute, I'm still mad at you. <laughs> right, so she steps back and she goes, there was a good night hug, not an I forgive you hug. <laughs> and then I'm like, well, good, because you don't need to forgive me for anything because I didn't do anything wrong. And then she's like, I didn't do anything wrong either. And then I'm like, ugh. She's like, ugh. And started the whole thing all over again, right? I don't even know how I got it. Anyway, so every now and again, I'll, I'll post something like that. And mostly I do it because it's like a, uh, it's like a memory thing for me because then in four years' time it pops back up and it says this happened and I read it and I laugh. But pretty much I've been disengaging more and more on social media and saying now if you jump on my page you'll find hardly anything except periodically funny things that my kids have said. So that's the second reason. And then the third reason why we really struggle to share everything that we have is because over the last couple of years we've been literally forced by the government into isolation. We've been forced over the last two years to isolate ourselves 
and we've been denied the opportunity to connect with people and to do life with people. And so you add that onto the social media thing, which pretty much everybody here is engaged with in some way, shape, or form. You add that onto our Western culture and our Western mindset, and it's a recipe for us to find this really, really hard. But guys, we have to be able to do better at this because like Mel was saying, I wanna talk to you about loneliness because what we are now seeing in the world today is a dramatic increase of what is being referred to by the medical community as depression diseases. They're called depression diseases. Last year, for the first time in recorded history, the life expectancy in the United States went down for the third year in a row. It is the first time in recorded history that it has ever gone down three years consecutively. And the only thing they can put it down to is that people are dying younger because their bodies are simply shutting down earlier than they used to. There's not any particular cause for it other than what they're now saying is depression diseases. And so I just want to highlight a couple of, might get a bit heavy, I just want to highlight a couple of reasons why we have to fight against this loneliness that Mel highlighted. And then we're gonna break into some groups and have a quick chat about it, okay? Loneliness is a subjective emotion that results from social isolation or because of a lack of trust and connection with those around them. So you can reverse engineer this statement, right? We struggle with connection with one another. And the reason we struggle is because we have a lack of trust, That lack of trust leads to social isolation. That social isolation leads to loneliness, which is a subjective emotion. You can say, I feel lonely, and the person next to you will not understand it because it's very subjective. It's very personal to you, all right? But here's the thing about loneliness. They have discovered that there are massive physiological responses in your body to this emotion, Right, your brain is amazing, man, and it releases chemicals and hormones and all these sorts of things based on the emotions that you're flooding through it. And so if you've got a particular emotion flooding through it, then your brain will respond to it. So what does loneliness do to us? Loneliness increases the likelihood of individuals initiating harmful health behaviors, such as excess alcohol consumption, overeating, or smoking as a form of psychological relief. You're more likely to develop an addiction if you're lonely. In fact, there's a lot of research now coming out to say that the main issue with addiction is a lack of connection. It's a lack of, uh, you know, support around you. People get addicted to things because they're trying to self-medicate this feeling of loneliness, all right? So if you've got loneliness, you're gonna be more likely to struggle in these areas. Loneliness significantly increases the risk of premature death from all causes. Ugh, that's not overly ambiguous. Loneliness significantly increases the risk of premature death from all causes. That's why we're seeing people starting to die younger and younger like we've never seen in recorded history before. It's thought to rival the risk caused by smoking, obesity, and physical inactivity. In fact, when it comes to smoking, the overall odds of mortality due to loneliness are comparable to smoking 15 cigarettes a day. How many people think it's a good idea, even whether you smoke or not. I mean, people are intelligent. I understand that people smoke and they're like, I don't want to, or they've got their own thing. But you're not gonna find anyone that thinks that smoking is a healthy lifestyle choice, whether they do it or not. 15 cigarettes a day, that's almost a pack a day. That is the same impact that loneliness has on your body. Loneliness has been associated with biomarkers of inflammation. So if you suffer from loneliness, you're far more likely to have inflammation in your body. 
Chronic inflammation is implicated in the development of cardiovascular disease and other chronic conditions which are associated with premature mortality. Just a couple of quotes. Uh, Amy Rokak, who's the clinical psychologist at York University in Toronto, says that loneliness is a form of stress that depresses the immune system. If you're lonely, you get sick more easily and you stay sick for longer because your loneliness is literally suppressing your immune system. Another quote from Louise McCulloch, she's the chair of neurology at the McGovern Medical School at the University of Texas. She says that loneliness is also associated with reductions in brain-derived neurotrophic factor, which is a protein crucial for neuronal health, cognition, and memory. So loneliness affects your memory, it affects your cognition, 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 all that kind of stuff. And uh, one more, Martina Luchit says that loneliness can predict the transition from mild cognitive impairment to dementia. Right, so loneliness is a massive, massive issue. These early church people did not have to worry about loneliness because they shared everything that they had. They shared all of themselves to be fair on them or to be fair on us, it was part of their culture. It was the way that they were wired. We've got to swim upstream when it comes to that. They didn't have to deal with social media and all of that fake connection that we're having to deal with in 2022. We've got to push upstream on that. And they weren't being, initially at least, perhaps when they started getting persecuted, they were, but initially they weren't being isolated from each other. So we've got to push uphill on that as well. When I read my Bible, I like to read as many different versions of it as I can to make sure that I'm getting a full picture. Different versions word things slightly differently, and sometimes the way it's worded will trigger a question in my mind. I like the way the Passion Translation puts it. It says, selfishness was not a part of their community, for they shared everything they had with one another. And when I read that, it just kind of made me ask the question, what came first? Because it says selfishness was not a part of their community, for they shared everything they had with one another. So did they share everything they had with one another because selfishness wasn't a part of their community? Or was selfishness not a part of their community because they shared everything with one another? Do you see what I'm saying? Sometimes we have to put the cart before the horse. Sometimes we have to act and then our emotion follows. If we just wait until we feel like doing this, you might be waiting a long time, but maybe, just maybe, if we make some physical changes to the way that we approach life, actually that feeling of loneliness starts to dissipate. So what we're going to do this morning, we're just going to break into groups, and I had like all these different questions that I could ask, and I was like, man, I don't know how to kind of end this thing, but there's just two questions that I wanted us to talk about. The first question is, how can we do, we being the church, you can talk in your groups about this particular church. If you're a guest here, it might be just around, you know, just general community stuff. But how can we do community better? You know, we've had people in this church that have had serious health episodes. And I haven't, as the pastor, I haven't found out about them for weeks. And then when I say to them, why didn't you, why didn't you tell me that this was an issue? Why didn't you tell me that you were in hospital? They said, oh, we didn't tell anybody. I said, what? Why? They said, oh, we didn't want to. I'm like, come on. Like you have to, you have, this works both ways, right? One, one thing you, would, you could ask yourself is, okay, what do I need to do to be someone that shares everything with a safe person? That's the caveat. Let me be really clear. That's the caveat, right? Don't run out of here and just spill your guts to the next person that you have coffee with. You have to use wisdom in this space. 
So maybe it might be a thing to start at the other end of the spectrum and say, what do I need to do to be someone that someone else feels comfortable coming and opening up to? Because it works both ways, right? No one, no one wants someone in their life that's just sucking them dry all the time. Oh, here comes such and such. She's just, oh, she's going to complain about her life and tell me everything that's going on because Josh gave her permission to one Sunday. Don't be that, don't be that person, right? Be a mature adult and recognize that there's a give and take. Hey, Judy, there's a give and take, right? Like you say to your friends, hey, I'm really struggling in this space and the next time they're talking to you and that's kind of how it works. So question one, how can we do community better? Either in this church or just in your sphere. And then the second question is, how can I, meaning you're asking that question, this is not like how can Josh do community better. It's like how can I do community better? And you're gonna do that maybe more of a personal reflection later on in the week. Is that cool? I want, to, I want us to get to a point where, that's the end of it, yeah, I'll leave the questions up. I want us to get to a point where this is like, we're like, the Bible says that the world should know us by our love for one another. And I think if you go back to the book of Acts, and the reason we're going through the book of Acts is to go look, look at what the church was like. What can we learn from that? The church would have been so radical compared to the rest of the community that they were in. Everybody else was kind of in it for themselves. You know, if you don't have food, you don't eat. It's sort of survival of the fittest type thing. And here's this community of people that is supporting everybody. There's no one in the community that needs anything. Everybody's looking out for each other. I mean, how aware are we of what the other people in this room are even going through? Like, just think about your last week. How much of your last week revolved around what you wanted to get out of life versus how much of your last week was you aware of other people, other people's issues, how you could help, how you could serve, how you could maybe connect someone with someone else. It was a real challenge for me sitting in the car and the lady comes up and says, can you give me a ride? And I did not like my immediate response because my immediate response was no, go away. That was my immediate response. It's bad. Thanks, Jean. Yep, it's bad. It's kind of where I was leading everybody, but thanks for clarifying. <laughs> right? And I, and I sat there and I thought, Why, where did that come from? Why is, why is that my immediate response? It's my immediate response because I've been brought up in a culture that's all about me. And my first thought was like, oh, it's 10 minutes away. Petrol's like 40 bucks a litre. Like by the time I drop her off, I'll have to sell my car. Like it's, you know... It's, all these things are going through my head and they're all horrible, selfish, me thoughts. And all she asked was for me to drive. And, you know, how much courage did it take for a lady on her own to knock on someone's window and say, hey, I'm lost, I need help, will you help me? She was the brave person in that situation. And I'm coming up with all these reasons why I should not help her. And I'm judging her. And even after we dropped her off, my wife said, she said, she seemed nice. And I said, yeah, she did seem nice. She said, she didn't seem like she was on drugs or anything. I said, no, she didn't. But that was like my first thought. You know, someone knocks on your window. It's terrible. How can we do this better? How can we live our lives and be a part of a church, part of a community of believers that everybody else around is like, far out. Look at the way they love each other. Look at the vulnerability. Look at the uh, authenticity. Look at the realness. Look at the support. Look at, there's no judgment. There's, we're just helping each other. That's what it's supposed to be like. Is that cool? All right, awesome. Let's put some music on down the back. 
And I just want you to turn your chairs in, groups of four or five people. We're almost done. I'm only going to give you 10 minutes to do the whole thing. Just see if you can come up with anything practical or even just in your groups. Just, just how did that resonate? You know, are you someone that could afford to open up a little bit more? If you find it hard, why do you find it hard? All right, 10 minutes and then we're, then we're done.